Jay's like, nope, I'm not playing it. Hi, everybody. I'm Kai Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where none of us is as smart as all of us. I'm Amy Scott in today for Kimberly Adams. Thanks for joining us. It is Tuesday, August 29th, and that means it's time for the weekly deep dive. Today, we're talking about something I'm fascinated by, which is plastic, what we do with all of that waste. Can we recycle it as much as we think we're doing? Turns out our systems are far from perfect. So we're going to talk about this for the next, I don't know, 10, 12-ish minutes with Judith Ank. She's the founder of the environmental group Beyond Plastics, also the former regional administrator of the EPA. Um, thanks for coming on the podcast. Great to be with you. So look, uh, let's cut to the chase here. Are, are we doing plastic recycling right? No, not at all. And it's not our fault. I mean, huh. I want to encourage all of your listeners to keep recycling your metal, paper, glass, cardboard, if you can, compost, yard waste, and food waste. But plastic recycling has been an abysmal failure for years. And the very nature of the material hmm. means that most of it won't ever get recycled, no matter how hard we as individuals try. That is so upsetting because... I can't tell you how many plastic items are in my recycling bin right now. Why doesn't it work? And am I better off just throwing it in the trash? No. First, don't be upset. We can we can work through this. So, so a couple things. Um, there's the iconic chasing arrows, the recycling symbol yeah. we all saw growing up. If it has number one or number two in it, please do put that in your recycling bin. So number one is polyethylene tetraphthalate. Number two is high-density polyethylene. That is virtually the only plastics that actually get recycled, that have reliable markets. The rest should not go in your recycling bin. You know, number three is polyvinyl chloride PVC plastic. We are trying to urge the federal EPA to actually ban vinyl chloride. And let me just spend a minute explaining why plastics are fundamentally not recyclable. So, so think of your own home. On top of your washing machine, you probably have a bright orange hard plastic detergent mm -hmm. bottle. And then in your refrigerator, you might have a squeezable clear ketchup bottle. Those two <laughs> plastic containers cannot be recycled together. Um, there are too many different types of plastic resins. There are thousands of chemical additives added to plastics and also many different colors. And so unlike an aluminum can that can be recycled into a new aluminum can easily, with plastics, there, there are too many different types of plastics. And then they, if they do succeed in recycling them, uh, it gets recycled typically not into the same product, but into things like plastic lumber and plastic fleece clothing, which unfortunately will shed microplastics when you put it in your washing machine. I'm filled with mm. good news. I, but I, um, <laughs> just you know, major, major message is keep recycling number one and number two. Uh, but not the other numbers. And then, you know, as someone who works for a, a nonprofit project called Beyond Plastics, I'd urge people to do everything humanly possible to avoid plastics. Okay, so let's, can we get to the recycling thing? Because we'll get to the, the rest of it in a minute. But that's so dumb. It's so dumb. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, it's like we're making it harder for ourselves. 
Well, the plastics industry has known this for decades, and yet they have spent millions of dollars, I'm sorry to say, lying to the public, saying, don't worry about all of your single-use plastics, just toss it in your recycling bin. Um, And they know better than anyone that that just is not true. They got a free pass for a while. They would export plastics to other countries, most notably China. And then um, in 2018, China said, stop sending us your plastics because most of it is not recyclable. Mm -hmm. And also it's mixed in with other garbage. And so what happens now, a lot of United States and EU plastic gets exported to countries like Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, and now Africa. So exporting plastic is a huge problem. And, And again, Um, we should just not fall for the myth that plastics are recyclable Mm. because most of them are not. So uh, this seems like a public policy failure, too. I mean, why are they able to label these products as recyclable if they are not, in fact, getting recycled or even able to be recycled? Yeah, perfect question, Amy. Um, The state of California has the only state law on the books that says you cannot label something recyclable if it's not. We want other states to follow. Also, this is an area that the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, regulates in. They're updating something called the Green Guide. Um, But it's Hmm. been a very, very slow process. But basically, you know, we've got the California Attorney General launching an investigation into deceptive advertising um, because you and I are busy consumers. You know, we race in and out of the store at record speeds. And if something has the recycling logo on it, Mm -hmm. we can assume that it's recyclable. But most of the time, it's not. All right, so look, what are we supposed to do? Because plastics are everywhere. You know, I just did a, I just did an interview with a woman who works for the Los Angeles Times. She's an environment reporter there, and she w- was given the assignment by her editor of keeping a plastics diary for a week. And within the first, like, 15 minutes, she was completely overwhelmed because everything that surrounded her was plastic. And so what do we do about this? Well, we changed the law because there's only so much you can do as an individual. So... My organization, Beyond Plastics, is working on new laws and regulations that actually create environmental standards for packaging. Uh, We want to start with packaging. It's about 40% of plastics, and also that's what shows up on city streets and parks and Mm -hmm. gets littered and eventually gets into rivers and oceans. So environmental standards for packaging, just like we have environmental standards for cars, and you would not be able to sell the majority of plastics on the market if you can't reuse it, refill it, or recycle it. It's that simple. That that is being vigorously opposed, not only by the plastics industry, but fossil fuel companies and chemical companies, because uh, fossil fuel companies see their market share for transportation products and electricity declining. And so they have pivoted to plastic production. Plastics is the plan B for the fossil fuel industry. Hmm. And the only way to reduce the amount of plastics in commerce is to pass laws to require the reductions. So with the understanding that there is only so much an individual can do, this is really a systemic issue. um, What can, you know, those of us who want to reduce our plastic consumption do? What kinds of choices can we make? 
what kind of convenience are we going to have to trade mm-hmm. off um, mm-hmm. to, to get less of this stuff out there in landfills? Well, what I urge people to do is look at your, take a little tour of your kitchen and take a look at what you're mostly using plastics for. So if you have that unnamed little coffee maker with the um, plastic pods (laughs) um, and and you drink a lot of coffee in your office or at home from that, Consider a switch in terms of the way you produce your coffee, because there obviously are alternatives. And that company, by the way, was sued for deceptive advertising and had to stop advertising those pods as recyclable. Um, In our household, my husband drinks a lot of orange juice, even though I tell him it has too much sugar in it. (laughs) So rather than buying plastic, it's like the only thing we argue about. Um, in, instead of buy, that's a joke. In, instead of buying orange juice in plastic bottles every week, we switch to frozen concentrate juice. Um, you know, bring your own bags to the supermarket. Um, if you drink a lot of coffee away from home, ha- get a really good reusable coffee mug that you enjoy sipping your beverage from, and do that substitute. So I do want to encourage people to reduce their um, dependence on plastics, but it's really hard once you get past some of the basic things. And so at that point, if you really want to reduce plastics, you need to become an environmental advocate Mm -hmm. and work with environmental groups and local governments to pass laws like to ban plastic bags, ban polystyrene bags, um, polystyrene packaging, plastic straws only upon request. Mm -hmm. And then the, the big win is what's called extended producer responsibility, which requires a reduction in, in plastic packaging. Hmm. Uh, all right. So just to recap here, and, the, and then you can get on your day. If it says one or two on the bottom, then you're good to go. Otherwise, everything else should just go in the garbage can? Yeah, sadly. And that'll get you thinking, are there alternatives to things that are n- marked number one and two? Um, <clears throat> th- this change is only going to happen with political action. Yeah, yeah. We all want to be you know, good stewards. We all support recycling. But plastics recycling is a hoax, and we need to be, you know, wide-eyed about what can and can't be recycled. Because, for instance, if you put non-recyclable plastic into your recycling bin, it's going to mess up the recycling process. Right. Right. It's a little depressing. Right, it actually does more harm than good. It's a little depressing, got to tell you. No, 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 it's not depressing. No, it is. No, 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 it is. (laughs) It is. Here I thought I was being here I thought I was being the good doobie all these years and I've been throwing my threes and fours and eights in the blue bin outside and that's not good. You're not is alone, Kai. Thing, I don't know. I, I may I made eight up. I, there it, there's probably an eight. I don't know. I don't Stops know. at seven. Stop. Man, I should have said seven. Judith Hank, she's the founder of the environmental group Beyond Plastics, also the former regional administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. Judith, thanks a lot. I appreciate your time and your wisdom. Yeah, thanks, thanks for so much. Me. It's really helpful. And a little I keep thinking depressing. about blueberries, Kai. What about blueberries? I what, love blue, blueberries. Oh, and they come in the plastic and those things, clamshell right? Pla- right. You, that... So what? What number are they? I think they're five. All right, wait. All right, wait. Hang on. You're in your house, right? How far are you from your kitchen? Uh, a few steps. You All want right, me go, to go, go check? Go, go look. I'll kill some time here. You go look, <laughs> okay, and we'll see I'll what number back. they are. Right. 
Um, and while Amy does that, I will just say, uh, if you've got thoughts on plastics, whether you like them or hate them or want to recycle them, or if you didn't even know that only it was ones and twos, let us know. Our phone number is 508-827-6278, 508-827-6278, which is 508-U-B-S-M-A-R-T. Those are all letters that I point out because Amy Scott is uh, in the guest chair today. Or you can email us, make me smart at marketplace.org. And as soon as Amy comes back and gives us a report on blueberry clamshells, here she is. And the answer is... All right. I've got the big the kay. big clamshell here. Yeah. Looking for a number. This is different than the usual one we get. Might not even have a number. Uh, yeah, I'm not... Oh, wait. Is that a number? I'm actually <laughs> and, not even And therein lies the problem. Oh, no. There it is. Okay. Oh, it's so faint. Is that a one? I don't... <gasps> Is it a one? It's a one. There you go. Yay. You but it's go. a clamshell. I've heard oh. you're not supposed to put these clamshells in there because they we, like gum up the we, works. We so. literally just had an expert on that said one is okay. She did. She one. did. We're I should have one. asked her about the clamshell. Right. We anyway. will be right back. You can go put your blueberries back in the fridge so they don't get gross. And then, and, <laughs> I'm and eat then some. We'll, be, we'll be back on in a sec. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. <laughs> I'm just waiting on you. The rundown says Amy Scott. Time for some news. Or was your mouth oh, full man, of blueberries? Oh, man, sorry. I was not prepared for the break. It's all um, good. Don't yeah. worry about it. It's all good. So yeah. we'll do some news. We'll do some news. And I'll go first while you have a blueberry or two. So I just okay. want to point, Time point for out, Gina uh, Raimondo, the Secretary of Commerce, is in Beijing and Shanghai. Really interesting article in the New York Times today about her trip. Um, I just I just want to just add a little subjectivity to, to all this great reporting from uh, Anna Swanson and Keith Bradshaw at the New York Times. So uh, Raimondo is now the fourth cabinet level uh, uh, Biden administration official to go to China since like spring-ish, late spring, early summer, right? Blinken, Yellen, John Kerry, and then and now Secretary Raimondo. Um, and what's what's interesting to me about it are three things. Number one, 
they are all, f- well, all three of them who are not environmental people, right? So, so Blinken and Yellen and, and Raimondo are all unbelievably on message. We do not want to decouple from the Chinese economy. We will not compromise on national security, even if it costs us economically. And all three of them have said that loud and clear. They're all meeting with the same people, which is really interesting. So this message is getting through. That's number one. Number two, so I was on the Yellen trip in, in July, and it was really interesting because they clearly respect her. They value her uh, as an intermediary uh, with uh, the president. Uh, they respect her experience and and they respect her technical knowledge, right? I mean, she's a woman of some uh, economic renown. Um, but it's it's so I've interviewed both of them, Yellen and Secretary Raimondo. And it's interesting because I think Raimondo is a little more in your face. Janet Yellen, very skilled negotiator, very skilled uh, economist, but she's really not like an in-your-face kind of person. Secretary Raimondo is like in your face. And it's really interesting. And I wonder how that's going over in China. I just, I, I wonder a little bit just to be a fly on the wall. And then lastly, so this is the fourth cabinet level person who's gone over to China, uh, us trying to reset the relationship, which has been strained in large part because of what happened in the previous presidential administration. I think it's time for somebody from China to come here, just in hmm. the interests of diplomatic fair play. And I, I'm not sure how many more Biden cabinet officials can go over there without it becoming a little bit weird. That's what I think. Awkward. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Not reciprocating yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Totally. It's like, it's you, like, you know, I mean, when do you, you think that's. Sorry, go ahead. Do you think that's in the works? I, I don't know, but it's a little bit like, you know, when when your neighbors invite you over to dinner like three or four times or, you know, you wind <laughs> up going over there and you never have them over. It's It's a little weird. It's a little weird. I've totally been there. I know. Sorry to everyone. <laughs> Sorry to all of Amy's friends. <laughs> all right, what do you got? Um, yeah, I, so do you remember this company called Yahoo? I do, yes. <laughs> My wife worked there back in the day. We were paper millionaires. We were paper but millionaires. Like, oh, it must have been nice. Oh, uh, um, But yeah, how many people really think about Yahoo on a daily no, basis? No, the company no, was sold by Verizon a couple of years ago to Apollo Global Management, a private equity firm, for $5 billion, which was just a fraction of what it had been worth at its peak. Um, But Axios has a story today basically saying that the company's having a bit of a renaissance. Uh, It was all but left for dead, according to this article, after a series of bad business decisions like a missed opportunity to buy Google, for example. Um, it botched an acquisition of, of Flickr, if you remember mm-hmm. that photo mm-hmm. sharing site. But under its new leadership, a guy named Jim Lanzone, who was formerly of Tinder and CBS Interactive, hmm. Yahoo's been buying up a bunch of companies. Just today, it said it's acquired a, a media startup called Strictly VC to add to its TechCrunch so news business. And that was the fourth deal this year. Last week, there was a platform called Common Stock that uh, Yahoo bought under its Yahoo Finance arm, a sports betting app called Wager. So it's buying all these companies to add to legacy platforms that are apparently still pretty profitable, including, I should say, AOL, which still brings in hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, You know, who would have thunk? And overall, Yahoo's fifth on total traffic, mobile and desktop traffic behind God. Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and That's Amazon. Amazing. Which is amazing. It's amazing, right? That is amazing. 
That's why. Yeah, so not dead yet, as they say. <laughs> not dead yet. Fair <laughs> enough. That's totally fascinating. I had no idea that Yahoo was even still a thing. Uh, I know, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right, we got to go. Uh, news now, Mailbag J, hit it. Hi, Kai and Kimberly. This is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things. All right, we talked uh, self-driving cars last week, what the future with them might uh, look like. Obviously, the big news in San Francisco is that they're doing more more widespread and round-the-clock pilot testing. Anyway, we got this. Hi, this is Beth in New York. I don't really understand why our solution to dangerous roads is individually operated robotic cars instead of perhaps better infrastructure. Cyclists are killed all the time because we have insufficient bike lanes to keep people safe. So it's interesting and it's exciting, but it's also a little disappointing that we've all been so car-brained that we still think the solution to traffic safety is individualized solutions rather than collective public transportation solutions. Thanks so much for making me smart. Yeah, that's fair. Can't really argue with that. That's a great point. Yeah, totally. We got one more robo-taxi comment. Hello, this is Terry from Colorado. I personally am a huge fan of driving. I kind of have a passion <laughs> for it. However, that said, I'm also looking forward to driverless cars. While I may enjoy um, the automotive experience, I'm also extremely busy, and I can't wait to have the opportunity to save some extra time and get some extra things done once we can drive on autopilot or whatever you want to call it. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Also fair, I like to drive, but, you know, you could use that time in the car to do something else for sure. Or or as uh, Beth in New York said, you could use the time on the bus. Just, you know, whatever. That's true. Yeah. All right. Uh, as we do every week, we will leave you with the Make Me Smart question. What is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? This week's answer comes from Gilberto Garcia Vasquez. I interviewed him uh, about about Tradle the other day. He's the chief economist oh, at yeah. Data Wheel. Yeah. What's something I thought I knew but later found out I was wrong about? <laughs> English. I studied English in Mexico, but it wasn't until I moved to the U.S. that I realized how far I was from coming across just as a functioning adult. Mm. One Sunday evening, my wife and I were driving an old car in Brooklyn when suddenly part of the muffler fell off. I realized we needed help. Approaching a group of people chatting outside the church, I said the best way I could. Excuse me, sorry to interrupt, but my muffin fell under the car. Can I borrow your cat? Your cat. Expressions of shock were telling. Confused by the lack of response, I returned to the car and recounted the experience to my wife. That's when I learned the correct terms were muffler and jack, a far cry from muffin and cat. In Mexico, we call a car jack gato. The experience taught me that feeling intellectually competent in one context while being completely out of my depth in another can be both bearable and enriching, especially when faced with a sense of humor and a willingness to adapt and learn. Yeah, that's great, actually. Context is everything, right? Contextual familiarity is everything. Totally been there. Yeah. And what an interesting feeling to come across as less intelligent just because of a word choice. I love that. It's a good one. It's a good one. We want to hear your answers to the Make Me Smart question. Our number is 508-827-6278. You can also dial 508, letter U, letter B, smart. 
Also, Tritradle. It's fun. Just type T-R-A-D-L-E in there. Give it a try. Make Me Smart, which is this podcast, is produced by Courtney Bergseeker, Ellen Rolfus, writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Jay Seabold. Juan Carlos Dorado. Going to mix it down later. Our intern is Neela Farshabandi. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and Marketplace's vice president and general manager is Neil Scarborough. I wonder how Neil feels about only being in the Tuesday credits. Everybody else gets it every day, and the boss man only gets it on Tuesday. Oh, really? I, I think just he's saying, doing okay. Somebody's going to be getting a phone call. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and it's not going to be me, because I'm just a talent, baby. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.